Hello and welcome to this episode of Talking About Rock, bringing you music interviews from around the globe. Sponsored by School of Rock in Rochester and North Buffalo, New York, where they have the most revolutionary music school in the world. From young children to adults, they have a program for you. Sign up for a free trial lesson on their website. And remember, we're always here available wherever you get your podcasts on all the streaming services. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can follow us on social media at Talking About Rock. And remember, also, you still have time to sign up for our high school confidential contest on our website, talkingaboutrock.com. All right. Today we have for you Michael Licata, president of Licata Productions. Michael's been a force in the entertainment industry for over 30 years as a manager, agent, drummer, writer, producer, and musical director. He has been involved with and responsible for multi-million dollar projects for major recording artists, including Chris Brown, Blues Traveler, Ricky Martin, Drake, Ringo Starr, Rodney Jenkins, Little Wayne, Rhino Bucket, Tepang, Savage Guarded, Rhiannon, Bang Tango, and many others. He has performed in internationally recognized music videos and concert stages, and has been awarded 16 platinum gold records. He was the show producer with Jason Alexander at Harrow's Las Vegas and the TV creator and executive producer for Viacom and CMT's H2 Overdrive. Next up, Michael Licata on Talking About Rock. Okay, we now have with us Michael Licata, president of Licata Productions. Hello, Michael. Thanks Hello, for joining sir. How us. Are How are you today? Great, great. So you've been a force in the entertainment industry for 25 years, and you originally started here in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Did you yeah. grow up in a, a musical household? Was that kind of an influence for you growing up? You know, it's funny because I didn't. And uh, my dad had records. I would listen to Sinatra and Louis Prima and Johnny Mathis and Tony Bennett on his record player, but nobody else is, is, is musically inclined. So I don't have no idea how I figured it out as I went along my way, but yeah, school of hard knocks when you, when there's no nepotism, when your last name isn't Bruckheimer, you have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I've read, you were beating on paid cans like when you're eight years old, and then they decided, well, maybe they should get you a drum kit, a snare. How did you, where did you find that? Google's a mysterious place, isn't it? Yes, Is it yes. Really? <laughs> That's exactly it. I, I, my mom has pictures still of me beating on paint cans, and then they surprised me with a little drum set and immediately put on the Tom Jones records, and, and I tried to play along at eight, but um, I had a good sense of time. Uh, you know, right off the bat, but I was, took forever to be able to make my way around a drum set, but. And then yeah. I was reading, you you switched it over to guitar there for a while, right? Well, the guitar lasted about 10 days. Um, I just thought the guitar players got the girls and my yeah. mother me with death because I was already three years into uh, drum lessons and I just wanted to be out front and be cool. Right. And she said, no, that's it. And then I realized <laughs> drummers, you know, you don't, as long as you're playing any instrument, you know, you'll be a popular guy at a party. You'll Doesn't still matter. be good. Yeah. So yeah. then you went to your first band, I think at 13, you had Tide and you changed that to Grimace. Oh my gosh. Right. 
And yeah. then, uh, I think you started Where does this exist. You started Where does playing. This... There's some old interviews kicking around. I do my research here for our, for our guests, you know, that's great. Yeah. Tide and grimace were, yeah, I was 13 and I went to, uh, I was, went to Kim Maurice high school and then we went and we played the dances at, uh, the two little schools, uh, Ben Franklin and Herbert Hoover were the junior high. Right. And, then we went, and that's the first time I was ever like on stage and felt the power and the magic of having drumsticks in your hands or being on a stage. And that was a game changer because it's different than playing on your practice pad or your drums with mom and dad and your cousins going, he's so great. Right. Little girls yelling at you. And then I came out at Franklin. I'll never forget this. And I sang Johnny Be Good. And that was a whole different animal, being especially because I sucked and couldn't sing. But the singer went back and played drums. I came out and sang, and I was nervous. I sat behind the keyboards. Mm-hmm. I sang Johnny Be Good, and girls were screaming, and they were two years younger than me. And and I learned, you know, I never did it again. I never came out again. I I don't know how singers can be singers. I have to be hidden behind drums and cymbals. I'm more yeah, you either, either have to have that persona where you want to do that or not, you know, it's either Agreed. it's either one or the other. Some people get pushed into it in a lot of right. bands. I know they're kind of like, they don't have a choice, but. Phil Collins. Yep, exactly, exactly. Sure. There's yeah. a good example. So the, then after some time, I'm not sure how long you headed out to Los Angeles. How did that come about? I was playing in a band. I was in the house band at the Fountain Blue in Miami Beach, uh, doing six nights a week, you know, a funk uh uh show band playing earth wind and fire and i was you know uh and jermaine stewart was passing through town and jermaine was a pop singer in the 80s he had a big uh at the time he had a number one record called the word is out and i knew who he was i was a fan and they were on the beach playing this big radio station concert so all of the stars playing on that beach concert were staying in the hotel at the fountain blue he came in saw my band play we were funky we were you know we were killing it and afterwards he was watching and i went up to him and i said i asked him for his autograph for my sister and he goes what's her name and i said michael and two days later he flew me to new york city i went to arista records signed a contract i was his new drummer his new musical director and three weeks later he released a song called we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time and drink some cherry wine it went to number two around the world um, couple countries that went to number one, but I moved, you know, that was it. I immediately, uh, that was the big leagues for me. So, right. Oh yeah. That's, that's a big Miami time. To, that, that'd yeah. be quite the head spinner with all of a sudden, boom, this is all this stuff is going on like right away. Yeah. Overnight. I, yeah. I freaked out, freaked me out. Crazy, crazy. So you yeah. also played, uh, with, uh, Ricky Martin, you auditioned for the video, live in La Vida Loca and you got in yeah. with that. Yeah, that was, I'm in, uh, I'm in La Vida Loca, live in La Vida Loca and Shake Your Bon Bon and did some work with him and uh, National Pepsi commercial. And, you know, I wasn't with them that long. We didn't really get along. So I didn't, uh, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of safe interviews. So I'm going to tell you <laughs> whatever you want to know. I didn't <laughs> like the guy. He didn't like me. And uh, well, well, from what I've read, and since you said that, when I've read, you were really good, and the people were really digging what you're doing, and it was kind of taking a little bit of the spotlight off of him, and he didn't care for that too much. Is that story somewhere online? What happened at the one concert with the the with, row? Of- yeah, with with that, oh. you had you had a lot of girls or something. I think digging what you were doing, and hey, that was probably one of the hugest audiences you've ever seen. He was really big back in the day, yeah. you know. So, yeah. and but, we never uh, spoke again after that show. We never you, you were a little that. little too good for for Ricky Martin's band. Yeah. You know the thing is, it wasn't me. It was just I was the drummer. 
right drummer's going to get attention if you're you know if you're energetic and you hit hard and and you're gonna you're gonna get love from from the fans and you know he didn't like that there was a row of, of girls people yelling and i'm like pal you know you got three houses and just leave me alone like right. you know this is my this is my 15 seconds give me my 15 seconds or whatever it's gonna be right you yes. know but yeah yes. yeah but either I way i mean if everything was cool in the beginning and then we just had a bit of a minor falling out of here you know he's he's a nice guy to other people but um you know I, and i didn't really care for the music i never misjudged a hit record so badly in my life we shot that video for la vida loca uh prince had a club in la called glam slam mm-hmm. we shot it at glam slam and i've been a sucker for three minute pop songs since i was a kid i can hear a song in 15 seconds and tell you if it's going to be a hit i just i had those years i love great pop records and while we were shooting that video i thought it was i thought it was a horrible record and i just kept thinking buddy you better save your money because this is garbage <laughs> and i was never so wrong i mean that song and his career just catapulted the whole latin music movement from that came cheyenne and enrique iglesias and j-lo and mark anthony and it was a whole movement and it started with him yeah Before it was just later we came back and did shake your bonbon and everything changed it was like beatlemania it was crazy yeah yeah it just at the right time the perfect storm type of thing yeah. happening and hit hit with that and of course all the ladies want to dance to that song and that's sure. just drove it yeah drove it, was it home like crazy yeah. yeah excellent excellent so you moved on some other acts after that and you also played uh with rhino bucket yeah yeah that's a funny story because i i've always loved that band and I was just, there was a time, I think I played with them in 2011, 2012. And uh, that's what I grew up with. ACDC, old ACDC with Bon Scott's my favorite. You know, the Def Leppard album, High and Dry, just before they broke with Mutt Lang producing. Yeah, he's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, amazing. I, that's that's where I come from, the school of Black Sabbath with, you know, the two Dio records. I mean, that's the stuff that I love. So um, I was managing, you know, that's what I, you know, I'm kind of a, entertainment consultant now i manage and i i'm a booking agent i'm I'm producing music but so now i'm a consultant and i you know but kind of back in the day i was getting too deep into management i said i just need to rock i need to play my drums again and i said to myself who do you want to play with and i said well phil rudd's not going anywhere in acdc right right joey kramer's not going anywhere and well not now he is but back now he is right yeah and my third favorite band was rhino bucket and I said, um, I'm just going to, you know, the, the majority of things that have happened to me in my life is because I went to get it. I've never sat home and the phone rang and, you know, it's Angus. Come on. It, it doesn't work that, that way. That doesn't work that way. You got to go after it. You got to go after it. So yeah. I said, who's my third favorite band? Who do I want to play with? And I said, I love Rhino Bucket. I found George, the lead singer on Facebook. And I sent him a message and I just wrote, did this happen like on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock? Dear George. My name is Michael. I sent him a video of me playing drums. I used to play with a group called Bang Tango. Right. And I sent him a video of me with Bang Tango. And I said, if your drummer ever gets hit by a bus, I'm your guy. Love the band. <laughs> and five minutes later, he wrote back to me. And he said, did you know we were looking for a drummer? And I'm like, how in God's name is this happening? I said, no, because no. the drummer at the time is Simon Wright. Oh, okay. was in ACDC. And 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 Dio and I was a big fan of Simon, 
And I was kidding. I don't want to see him get hit by a bus. I was just being a wise guy to get his attention. Right. And he says, um, 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 he says, Simon's leaving. We're having auditions tomorrow. Can you make it? I, I go, where? Where do you live? He said, I'm in the Valley. I used to live in Hollywood. And I said, oh, my God. I said, what time? And he said, can you be at this place at two o'clock? And I go, what do you want to play? And he gives me the four songs. And I said, and I knew them all. They were the hits. I go, look, challenge me. Give me some B-sides. I know those songs. Let's do something different. And he laughed. I went to the rehearsal the next day and it was this beat down place. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm here with Rhino Bucket. Got up and played. It was a freight train. I knew that we were killing, that it, it was a pocket. It was grooving. It was just great. And before I left, I said to them, to make a story longer, I said, guys, whether you hire me or you don't hire me, this has been a thrill for me. I said, I'm going to be at your next show. I'm going to either be behind the drums and we're going to be punishing an audience, or I'm going to be in the front row with a beer in each hand with a Rhino Bucket t-shirt. Either way, this has just been a thrill of a lifetime. And he goes, okay, well, we got a couple of the guys to, to look at. And if, you know, maybe we'll call you. I said, right. I get home. It's, I get home three hours later and I see George on my caller ID and I pick it up and I just, I, I laughed. I didn't even say hello. I chuckled. And he said, do you have a passport? And I said, what happened to the other guys you were looking at? And he said, all I'm going to tell you is you kicked our ass, but that going away speech is really what sold it. When you, you know, we knew you were a good guy and we knew if we're going to be on a tour bus with you, we were going to, you know, right. We Cause, to cause that's that. even more important. It is sometimes nowadays, you can be a great musician, but if you can't hang out and chill out and be a part of the, the, the band, so you know, when they're, when they're relaxing and just chilling yeah. out and talking, it doesn't yeah. work, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. You could be the greatest musician in the world, but if you're a jerk, yep. nobody wants to be around you. What's the point? Right. So one week later we did Sweden rock festival. And there's video of it on YouTube. I think I sent you one. I yeah, think I yeah. we're going to actually take a quick break and we're going to check out the video for you with Rhino Bucket live at Sweden Rock from 2011. All right, and we'll be right back here with Michael Licata on Talk. <laughs>
Okay, we're back here on Talking About Rock. Just checked out the uh, video for Rhino Bucket. Great stuff, man. Very cool. That show was was uh, it was it was overwhelming for me, you know, you, because a week earlier I'm sitting in my little office in my little apartment in Hollywood, going, I, I what am I going to do with my life? I'm sick of being a manager. Fast forward seven days, and on that bill at Sweden Rock, there were twenty two thousand people on that video you just saw. Uh, we were on the same bill with Judas Priest, White Snake. The Cult, and Ozzy. Oh, my God. That's an amazing bill. And we were the opening band, of, uh, of course. But I saw David covered him. He's standing on the side of the stage, and he's watching us. And I'm up there playing, going, how did this happen? I'm just this little dude from Tonawanda, New York. <laughs> White Snake's watching. Ozzy's headlining. And I'm playing with one of my favorite bands. So, yeah. What an amazing time. But very cool, very cool story. So then you got got back into management after that. And would you I think you went on to working with Rihanna and Chris Brown, or was that maybe farther on down the line? Yeah, one of that was Rihanna and Chris Brown was just a little bit after that. Uh, Chris Brown was on a tour. The single was called Kiss Kiss. Um, you know, he was I knew him when he, he was always a nice guy. Um and he was really down. I don't know what he's like now, but he's really humble. And this was before he had problems with her. I was there the day that he met her. They brought her in and she did a duet with him. I directed a video between the two of them. And my I had a business partner at the time and we used to build sets, custom sets. And Chris, we met him on his tour bus with his manager and you know one Fresno, I think. And, and he gave us an idea for what he wanted his set to look like because he was going to go on a bigger tour when the next album came out. And my partner went back and he did all the designing. Then we go back and I was a liaison to the client and we would change whatever whatever they wanted right and fixed it and dialed it in then built it in an airplane hangar at this place in burbank we stayed with them for two weeks while they rehearsed went on the road for a week to make sure nothing you know imploded right it's like sending your kids off to school go be free right um, it all works just keep it together <laughs> yes so uh chris uh we he did a video and he used to he showed rihanna on some mirrored screens some big mirrors and she would duet with him because she wasn't there on tour. And I shot the video between the two of them. She would appear. They duet together. And and uh, there's pictures of that that exist. Me telling Rihanna what to do. That's oh, pretty very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah that was that never, was a huge. Never tour. remember me. We weren't that close. Right. Right. Well, yeah. So, she's. I mean, she meets hundreds of people a day. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you also worked for a company that created a reality show and sold it to uh, CMT Television. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How do you know this? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. About eight years ago, I I got sick of music and I wanted a good dive into television and I knew nothing about it. So I wasn't afraid. And I formed a production company with uh, Michael Davenport, a dear friend of mine. And we created a show called H2 Overdrive and um, uh, secured all the talent. And, and we sold it to CMT, Viacom. And it was, it was about... Um, Quickly, it was about uh, you know the NASCAR drivers on water. It was like um, uh, you know the the boat drivers that drive those cigarette boats in Florida that go 200 miles an hour. Right, like speed boats and stuff. Yeah, and speed boats exactly. So it was the story of three teams. We sold it to Viacom. The pilot test. I had my own office on the lot at Universal. After we sold the pilot, next to Desperate Highways, I'm I'm waving to Eva Longoria as I go into work every day, and I was there for a couple months. The pilot tested well with the focus group 
Um, and they still didn't pick up the episodic option because they said it was too expensive of a show to make. And they held on to my rights for 11 more months and they wouldn't let it go. So nobody else would pick it up because I couldn't get away. They wanted to see if they could produce it cheaper or do something else with it, I guess, huh? They wouldn't even take my calls. I don't even know if they were ambitious enough to do that cheaper. They just love to sit on it and own the intellectual property. With that said, I'm waving goodbye to Eva Longoria with my cardboard box, like Steve Martin and the jerk, leaving Universal <laughs> oh, just man. as quick as I was there going, hi, how are you? Right. So that was my experience in television. I was like, let me go back to music. At least I can see the piranhas coming at me. I dove into TV and film, did well, sold a show as a creator, executive producer, and I never looked back. So... Right. Actually, and then, you, then you got into some other stuff, too. I think you did yeah. a behind the drums with uh, Ringo Starr, actually, also, yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, that's a funny story, too. I was working with Ricky Martin. I got a phone call and a lady just said, um, is this Michael Licata? And I said, yeah. She says the Michael that plays with Ricky Martin. I said, yes. And she said, you're hired. And I said, with who? For what? She said, For what? It's, <laughs> it's a National Century 21 TV commercial to start. And this was, she goes, but I can't tell you who it is. And I said, well, if you're not going to tell me, I'm not interested. And then they told me what I was getting paid. And I'm like, what time and what should I wear? Right. <laughs> right. They were really secretive about who the talent was because this was right around the time. This was 2001, 2000. When, do you remember when the maniac broke into uh, George Harrison's house? Yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy yeah. guy. And he stabbed him. Right. Badly. Yeah. Yeah. And the wife hit the guy over the head with a lamp and knocked him out. But Apparently, security around the remaining Beatles got even tighter right around right. that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So she says, hire a bunch of guys that are just like you. Just because I'm living La Vida Loca, I could have been some some Manson family member, but I was okay because <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking my bonbon. So I said, I hired a couple of guys from Ricky Martin's band. The next morning, we were at a house in Pasadena. That was the set. We were shooting in a living room. And the director comes, none of us know who the guy is. And, and the director says, when the talent comes to the set, you do not look at him. You do not talk to him. You do not, don't look at him. And we're all like, who is this guy? Was right. A couple, a couple yeah. actors and musicians I know are like that. They don't want eye contact. You know, they want, they want their space. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you know, I don't. So we're there five hours setting it up, cameras, lights, blah, blah. And we still don't know who it is. So then through the walkie talkie, they're all like, everybody's set. You're all in place. I said, yeah. And through the walkie-talkie, the director goes, bring Ringo to the stage. And I said, what did he just say? And I looked at the bass player, I go, my friend Michael, I go, what did he just say? And Ringo Starr walks in and he's nine feet away from me. And he looks at us and he goes, hello, band. And he's looking right at me, the drummer, because he was the singer in the commercial. That's on YouTube also. And I said, hey, Ringo. And that was it. It started a, a bit of a nice little relationship. Again, I don't know if you'd remember me now, but... Um, he was so unbelievably cool. His wife, Barbara, was great. And you meet people along the way in my life, and I'm sure you have too. The one hit wonders. The right. ones have a song that's number 38 on the charts and, you know, and it dies. They're always the biggest assholes. When you meet somebody like Ringo Starr or 15 years ago, a friend of mine was friends with Johnny Mathis. Jermaine Stewart was friends with Johnny Mathis. He played Melody Fair in Buffalo. I flew home, took my mom and dad, and we're backstage. And that guy's been a legend since the mid-50s. Right, right. I sat there and talked to my mom in the dressing room, talking about recipes and talking. He was the nicest, coolest guy. 
legend. I heard Garth Brooks. I've never met him. I hear the guy is incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, know, the one thing I've I've really, really learned, and I've watched a lot of people perform and I've, I've tried to navigate a little bit of it myself, but they realize, you know, they can have that relationship with their fans and just talk with them. That's huge. Yeah. Right. That's huge because that's, that's where everything's at right now. It's all going to concerts, selling merch, selling yeah. their brand and selling themselves right yeah. as, as a person yeah. as someone like if, if you if you hate this person you're not you're not buying their t-shirt right, right. you know right. what i mean you're, you're not going to their shows if this guy's a jerk no matter how much you like their songs right yeah. so yeah. even even if it is in real life you you don't better not find out about it right better yeah. it better be cool and it's not even just rock stars or actors sports too i am a bills sabers psycho i live in vegas I don't care about the Raiders. I don't care about the Golden Duck, Golden Ducks, Golden Knights. What do they call Golden them? Golden Knights? I think Golden Knights. Yeah, whatever. I, mean, I live four blocks from the stadium. I don't care about any of them. I will proudly go see the Sabers when they come here this year with my Jill Perot jersey. I'm a diehard Bill Sabers. Do you go to the Bills bar out there, Johnny Max? You go out How there, do you know Johnny? Ma- yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've I, been out in Vegas. I have family in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I went once, but I get the direct TV pet. Well, now it's YouTube. So I right. get the package. I've never missed a Bills game in the 10 years I've lived here. And then the 15 when I lived in LA. And the Sabres too. I'm taping, taping. How old am I? Barring <laughs> the Sabres preseason right now. Right. So, you know, I'm in the playoffs. So um watching the playoffs. So I'm, you know, when you see every morning I'll wake up and I'm having coffee, I'll go to Google, type in Buffalo Bills and see what moves. Brendan Bean has made or see what's going on. And it's just an obsession. The older I get, the older I get, the more I love the Bills. And when you see Stefan Diggs walk out and he pulls his, his nephew out last week, they showed and he's playing catch or he's throwing the ball up in the crowd. I'm like, that is so cool. It's just Josh is so cool with the fans. And I'm a Bills groupie. So forget the rock stars. I'm just when the when they're cool and are approachable, you're right. It's a lifestyle you're embracing. Right, you, you love the Bills. You you love Elton John or ACDC, yeah. and, and they've gotten rid of Bills that weren't so nice to the public or had kind of a bad background on doing things. You know, they booted them even if they were good players. Yeah, you know, they yeah. still got rid of them because they weren't a good fit for for the well, team. The perfect example them. is Cole Beasley. Yeah. I mean, you know, I liked him. And good player, I, good player. He kept his politics to himself because right. he became disruptive. Then he came back and and. It just still lingered over and, and you can't take away from the guy's talent, but right. sometimes you just need to be Switzerland and just, and, you know, not to the point that you're compromising your integrity, but right. at the heat, at the, at the heat of COVID, he was on his soapbox pissing off the heads of the NFL. Yeah. So we have enough to worry about in Buffalo still recovering from wide, right. So, yeah. 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 We won't live that down until we get to the yeah. Super Bowl. you know, yeah, it will never happen. So, yeah. yeah, we're always hopeful that things will go better for our teams here. You know, never yeah. say die. Definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what do you have going on now? You've been so busy with all this other stuff. Who you can you maybe tell us a little about maybe who you're currently working with or management or what what projects you got going on? Cool. Right now, I guess I guess you could call me an entertainment consultant. What I what I really kind of do is I like to slide in under the radar and help where I'm needed. And I, I never do this. I don't, I've never done this before. I think I told you earlier, I'm, you know, I manage talent in the past. I've managed blues traveler. I've managed the plain white tees. 
um, and you know, a couple other bands. And, and uh, I, I like to stay in the background. Last year, I was managing a pop singer, Matt Goss, out of the UK. And Matt used to tell me, he said, I love how you, let me think how, exactly how he said it. He goes, I love how you don't, um, you know, you don't get in the way. You're not trying to shine. So whenever we would go places, I was in England three times last year. We recorded a new album. He sold like 23 million records a bunch of years ago. And we made a new album that was brilliant. Went into the UK billboard charts at number seven. We sold out the London Palladium later that week. And, um, you know, I, I had a great time with him. And, but he always said, you don't need the attention. And I said, I said, brother, I would always rather be Brian Epstein off to the side watching his Beatles than have to be there, you know, wait, you know, waving a flag going, look what I did. You know, yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe so, you come up with an idea every once in a while and say, Hey, maybe you want to try that or maybe you want to try this, but yeah. Yeah. So if you see my social media, I think there's one video where I'm at a Christmas event last summer with my son, who's now seven. And I, and I speak, I'm just JPEGs. I never do the, my own videos. This is the first time I've ever actually been on speaking, telling stories. So if I'm choppy or I suck, I apologize, but Back to what I'm doing right now. I'm managing a couple bands, a group out, out of Disney called Fat Cat Swinger. They're awesome. It's Big Bad Voodoo Daddy meets Michael Bublé meets Bruno Mars. Oh, amazing. Um, they're killing it right now. Um, I'm working with Femmes of Rock still. It's actually my ex-wife. Uh, we put uh, we worked on this group together years and we, we split, but we're, you know, we have a seven-year-old son and we're closer now as friends than when we were married and she's a badass great electric violin player and we've opened up for cheap trick and bad company and so i'm kind of helping her with some bookings right now and um i'm a booking agent i book bands i've got venues around the country uh i'm a music producer currently my girlfriend janine valentine is working with a dear friend of mine rodney shelton he's a grammy nominated producer and we're going to uh, charlotte to record start working on her her new album uh, the end of October, beginning of November, he's going to be producing her and I'll be sticking my nose in where it's not uh, needed as a co-producer, hopefully, if he lets me. And she's awesome. And then every once in a while, some drumming thing will kind of drop in my lap. I just played with the Femmes of Rock at the Riviera in Buffalo in June. Oh, I missed that. Oh, oh I, I, I wish I knew have, you. I could have. I could have been there. If you come back again, you, you give me a buzzer, give me a give me a tweet or whatever and let me know. Will do. I'll send you that. That I did a. I played the a who med the who medley. And there's a big drum solo in the middle of it, and somebody filmed it. I'll send that to you after we're done. I'm proud of that. It's. Uh, I played cool. because my son's never seen me play drums. He thinks, Daddy. He sees me on the phone yelling at people and on zooms yelling at people. He doesn't even know. I've got a electric. These are my electric drums behind me. He sees me on those once in a while, but he doesn't know how I, how I earned a living. Right. So I brought him up on stage. He stood right next to me and he lost his mind. It was great. Good. Wow. That motherfucker can play some drums. You can see he's fucking back into it. Too. Look at that face.
good. Okay. All right. So what would you say are some things artists should maybe focus on more today? We know it's it's really more about the show and the concerts at this point. So what do you right. think they should maybe be thinking about or focus on? That's a real good question, because in today's digital age, it's it's the wild, wild west. It's exactly literally every 90 days. Um, when I get asked that question, especially by younger kids, <clears throat> excuse me, up and coming or trying to figure how do I get in? The answer is simple. It's all social media, all social media. The days of a band getting a cash advance, you know, Ahmed Erdogan back in the Atlantic days, dear Led Zeppelin, here's a million dollars. We're going to develop your career. Cheap trick had three records, you know, the first one in color, Heaven Tonight, and then Budokan, and then three, four records in. Same with Peter Frampton. I'm yeah. dating myself. Frampton comes alive five, four albums that, in. Yeah, that was Zeppelin. huge. Yeah, Zeppelin hit it out of the park, yeah. um, that first record. But ACDC, you know, High Voltage, they didn't put out Dirty Deeds until after Back in Black, High Voltage, and and Power Age, which is the best ACDC album they ever made. They were on tour with Skinner, and you can hear that Southern, I digress. Yes, but, love that album, yeah. love Sin City, yes. Yeah, but they didn't hit it until Highway to Hell with Mutt Lang. There were five records. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. You could come out, stream 11 million and not have a second shot so many bands now have hit records whatever that even means anymore right they don't get a second shot there's no development so you have to take care of yourself before a manager who's got clout or an agent who's got clout can step in and take you to another level because the development act is so hard it'll take you three two three years to be able to get you to a level where you can put asses in seats and you can sell tickets. So with that said, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, you need a really strong digital presence and you have to saturate. You got to be on there, you know, with Matt Goss, when we put the album out, it was called the beautiful unknown. We were on so uh, social media every day. We yep. employed a digital marketing team out of the UK. There were 12 people that work there and they were, they know when to hashtag, you know, who to hashtag because it's trending. Right. Every day is there's something different trending that you need to be piggybacking. It's an art. That is the record label in 2023, 2024, social media. And you really don't want to do it yourself. And there's a lot of get rich quick dudes on YouTube. Oh, all that, over the place. Yeah, All over the place. And for the for the low, low rate of $19.99 a month, we'll yeah. do, if you knew what you were talking about, you'd be Taylor Swift right now. So right. Right. They have it figured out. That team has it all figured out. Exactly. So if anybody out there needs help or advice or call me, find me on social media and I'm more than happy to help. But the answer is build your own brand as best you can. And then it's driving ticket sales. It's driving publishing. If you can get sync, you know, songs and commercials and films, there are a lot of guys out there that companies that do that. Yeah. Um, and, And merchandising at shows. That's, how you make money in today's world, primarily touring, but you can't tour unless you've done the work to raise your awareness. Yeah. One, one other thing to follow up with. I asked uh, Michael uh, Brandvolt this last week. So now there's kind of a different scenario where they're trying to put out things digitally, right? Some people yeah. put out like a couple tracks, 
you know, on Spotify, what have you. Yeah. Uh, some people release a whole EP. Sure. Some, some people release like just a video and then they, and then they release another video. There's all kinds, there are all kinds of different formulas Sure. They seem to be trying now. We're almost back right. to like where it started, right? Where you re release a single, and right. then it, if that did good, maybe you got another single, and then you got what yeah. they used to call the album out, right? Sure. But now it's like all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, everybody's yeah. trying. Do you, do you have any thoughts about any of that? Absolutely. What worked for me on the Matt Goss album, and we did it with Blues Traveler. Um, you don't want to focus. You you never anymore want to put your record out, the album, the same day your single comes out. It doesn't work like that because attention spans are minimal. Right. One of my favorite bands right now, even though I'm a rocker, I love a band called the 1975. They're, they're a pop band out of England. And I saw them here, took my girls six months ago. We went to see them. They were great. And we're going to see them in Phoenix next Thursday. Um, they're just a great pop band with an 80s feel to them. Really cool band. They put their album out. They've been on tour for a year. The year before that, no, it was like last fall. I'm sorry. They put the first single out. And this is a band that's already sold millions of records. They've already got a brand. They put the first single out in the video. Six, seven weeks later, they put the second, you know, the third. So a year went by and then they released the album. So if you throw, if you don't have a lot of money, you need to spend money in marketing. If you're independent, you don't have a deal and you're buying uh, uh, digital marketing one song at a time. Put the song out, put the video out, and milk it. Right. By the time those six songs have saturated over an eight-month period, the 1975 put their album out, was the greatest hits record because they, you know six songs off that album. That's how everybody does it now, everybody. So it's, it, don't worry about an entire record. Do a song, you know, record... Record an album's worth if you want to. Pick the six best and sit on it. Don't make it available on Spotify. Don't make it available for purchase. That's the cash cow at the end of your eight to 10 month marketing campaign. That's just my opinion. Excellent, excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great. So if people want more info about you and your production company, how should they reach you? Just on social media or your website yeah. or? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a website. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. And in I think I have a Twitter campaign or X, whatever it's called this week. I don't even, I don't <laughs> right. even know how to work it. So, uh, you know, that's the best way to do it. So I'm always here for friends that from home. I'm a diehard Buffalonian through and through forever. Excellent. Excellent. I really appreciate you again, stopping and chatting with us today. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye now.